You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hello, neato, nifty knowledge nerds. Welcome to Good Job Brain, your weekly quiz show and offbeat trivia podcast. Today's show is episode 237, and of course, I'm your humble host, Karen, and we are your orating orchestra of original organisms orbiting ortolans. I'm Colin. And I'm Chris. Oh, Let me the take ortolan. the towel off my head real quick. Ah, delicious. Going way back with the ortolan. I think it was yep. made popular recently because of some pop culture show. I'm, I think it's, it's uh, Succession. I came across something fun that made me laugh and smile that I want to share with uh, you two. You know, part of being parents of young children is you absorb a lot of children's programming. The uh, the kids show Bluey. Many yeah. families I know love it uh, around the world. The Australian show Bluey about the little cartoon dog and her family and her little sister. And so Bluey the dog on the show is based on a, a real dog breed, an Australian cattle dog. And they kind of come with like a really distinctive blue, you know, sheen to their coat. And I mm. looked at the pictures. I'm like, oh, yeah, that dog does look kind of blue. Um, But then I learned that Bluey is also the name of the Guinness World Record verified, authenticated, longest living dog. Okay. There was a dog uh, who died in 1939, it was a long time ago, uh, named Bluey. And Bluey was an Australian cattle dog. You know, there are people who say they had dogs who lived longer. And, yeah, 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 yeah. But this again is Bluey is verified with 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 birth records and death records as the the top spot uh, as longest living dog verified by How age. On um, well, do you guys want to guess? What do you think? What do you guys think? I, I didn't mean to turn it into a quiz here, but hey, uh, that's the spirit of our show. Thirty one. Wow. No <laughs> way. Yeah. Okay. It's got to be older than like eighteen or. 20. It I'm is just... older than 18 or 20. Uh, Karen, <laughs> 18, 18 years wouldn't even get you to number 20 on the list of longest. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. Bluey was 29 years, oh. 160 days years old when she passed. Wow. Really incredible. Born in 1910, passed in 1939. So then, of course, I ended up looking at the list of longest living dogs verified by age. Now, <laughs> what made me laugh is, I mean, look, this is a celebration of these dogs' lives. I am not in any way laughing that they are dead. I'm just going to read down the name for you guys. This is like, this is, you know, just to come across these official list so here's the list of longest living dogs by age bluey of course of course bluey yes. butch snooky taffy adjutant uh, booksy puske bramble sugar piccolo merzin pebbles kira king that's kira king one word uh-huh. toby keith that's toby keith one word <laughs> Chanel, Abby, Sugar Ray, Otto, Seamus, Sodorakis, Megabyte, Winston Ra, Lady, and Willie. Wow. Uh, yeah. That sounds like the worst season of Jersey Shore ever. Uh, 
Uh, yeah. The Willie there at number 24 lived 20 years, 106 days. Wow. A little Jack Russell Terrier from the UK. So uh, let's... <laughs> Hats off to all of these dogs. I tip my hat to you, dogs. Good job, dogs. Good job, dogs. (laughs) (laughs) Well, without further ado, let's jump into our first general trivia segment, Pop Quiz Hot Shot. Here, I have a random trivial pursuit card. You guys have your barnyard buzzers. Let's answer some questions. Here we go. Blue Edge for Geography. Quote, Out of the mountain of despair, a stone of hope is etched into the Washington, D.C. statue of which leader? Out of a mountain of of despair, despair, a stone of hope is etched into the Washington, D.C. statue of which leader? Colin first. The Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Correct. Good job. Pink Wedge. Which tune was so requested that Led Zeppelin's Robert Plant said, I'd break out in hives if I had to sing that song in every show. <laughs> Chris. Is it Stairway to Heaven? Denied. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, okay, all right. Okay, okay. <laughs> Correct. Next question, Yellow Edge. Which, de- which decade of the 20th century was nicknamed Roaring? <laughs> Chris. The Roaring Twenties. Purple Wedge. Which diarist's image is on the California State Quarter along with the scene of Yosemite, the park he helped conserve? Oh. Colin, Miss, uh, Mr. Hike. Uh, John Muir? Yes, correct. Oh, okay. Wouldn't call him a, okay. A diarist? <laughs> a diarist, yeah. yeah. It seems like he was more it's than like, that. He was yeah. more than that, but yeah, right, that right, is right. strictly speaking true. Weird. Yeah, yeah. I have Twitter. I'm a diarist. Um, All right. In 2013, doctors completed the first full transplant in the U.S. of what body part? In what year? 2013. 2013. The first full transplant in the U.S. of what (laughs) body? That assumes maybe it was done somewhere else. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Colin. 2013. Hand. Incorrect. Okay, it's not hand. 2013 it's gotta be something more difficult it's not head <laughs> gee what could they what could they transplant that would be really difficult <laughs> belly button <laughs> that would be very difficult that would be right hard. incorrect incorrect colin what's your next guess is it i i i censored myself on the first one is it face it's face it's face uh, yeah face yes yep i do remember that all right last question orange wedge in 2012 Which U.S. holiday surprisingly surpassed Cinco de Mayo and Super Bowl Sunday to become the day most avocados are eaten? Okay. I'm sorry. Read that again. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. From the beginning. In 2012, which Uh U.S. holiday surprisingly surpassed Cinco de Mayo and Super Bowl Sunday to become the day most avocados are eaten? Chris. Independence Day. Yes, 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 yes. For the okay, for all right, July. all right. You know, really in the form of guacamole. Like this right, is, it right, seems yeah. like that's that's where it's Let's going. Let's be honest yeah, yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right. This week, actually, first I want to ask you guys: Have you guys ever been to a a brunch or a, a breakfasty place where they offer bottomless mimosas? Oh, I not only have I been. Sometimes I'll seek them out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
I've only done it once. It's definitely like an eyes bigger than the stomach kind of scenario. <laughs> yeah. Yes! By the time you've had enough like alcohol in the champagne that they're giving you in these mimosas, uh, you've also drunk like a ton of orange juice. You know, you're not really thinking like, it's like, do you want, hey, do you want to drink five glasses of orange juice? It's like, no, I don't. It's like, well, what if I cut it with like 25% champagne? It's like, oh, then, yeah, okay, I, I guess I will. And then yeah, you, you feel like yeah. garbage. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, after like three, after three, it becomes a test of your commitment more than anything else. Yeah. Right. I, I did it once. I once went to a, a brunch place in the city Four hours later, I found myself at my gym, standing under a shower, fully clothed. And it turns out I was, I puked all over myself. I was responsible enough to be like, I better clean myself up. Where can I go? I'm going to the gym and I'm going to like shower. There's a kernel of a good idea in there. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 And so telling that story to someone inspired me. Oh, let's have a morning, morning stuff. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Morning routines. We talked about OJ just now, uh, taking showers, waking up. And so this week, it's a good morning brain. It's morning, everybody. Are either of you guys morning people? Would you call yourself a morning person, Colin? I would not. I, I would no? say, I mean, categorically, I would say I'm not a morning person. But I want to be a morning person so bad. And I think uh, just having kids kind of forces you to be a, yeah. a morning-ish per, or a functional during yeah. the morning. Yeah, you don't really have a choice. Yeah, with the, with the <laughs> kids. like you, It's like, nope, yeah. you have to get up now. Yeah, it used to be the don't talk to me in the morning until I've had my coffee, you know, person like uh, <laughs> until I got off of coffee and now he can talk to me. It's okay. I'm just not like a fan of getting, it's like, I, I, I need the alarm clock to be able to get up. I probably need to set the alarm clock a little earlier than it, you know, but it, either way, um, before they had alarm clocks, they of course had <laughs> a rooster. Yeah. They had barnyard buzzers. Exactly. Yeah. Can you believe that when I got the idea for what I wanted to talk about, I thought for a second, oh, I'm going to have to download a clip of a rooster crowing for the second. <laughs> they make that noise. They crow in the morning, right? Okay, so here's a question. Why do they do that? Why do they do that from a physiological standpoint? Like, What triggers a rooster to crow in the morning? Does anybody oh, want to like throw something out there? I mean, the classic, the classic, you know, trope is that it's the light, you know, that it's the the, the sunlight. That's that's, I think, what the now whether that's true or not, Chris will mm -hmm, maybe mm -hmm. advise us. Um, is it mating temperature? Maybe you know what? We're gonna get to all of this. Okay. Okay. Uh. Okay. So actually, let me ask you guys this. Here, let me ask another question. Let me throw this out there. Close your eyes and picture okay. a typical scene with a rooster on. Uh, you know, he's on the farm. And he's he's doing his big first crow of the morning. He's crowing loudly as the sun comes up and he's crowing so everybody around can hear him, okay? So in this mental image that you have, uh, where is the rooster standing? In my head, he in my head he's on a, like a fence post. He's on a fence post? Oh yeah, yeah. exactly. That's, yeah. that's exactly what I thought you were going to say. So yes, roosters uh, will crow from the fence. I mean, that's the typical picture, right? They will get up onto a high vantage point like the fence 
when they crow so that everybody will hear them. <laughs> and and also because also because it sort of goes along with them surveying their territory. Uh, right? Because the roosters right, and the right. flock, you know, they're very territorial. You know, so they might crow simply as a way of announcing their territory to other roosters that might be around, predators <laughs> that might be around, anybody that might be around. So if if a rooster hears a loud noise, like if a car drives by the farm or something like that, the rooster might oh. crow back to be like, hey, giant predator, whatever you are, these are my chickens, you know? <laughs> yeah. Whatever whatever your deal is, you need to back off. Um, so the crowing in, in that sense is sort of like this, hey, everybody, like this is my territory. If you can hear me, get out, you know? Um, mm. I actually did get attacked by a rooster once. Um, <laughs> true story. I was at summer camp. Probably uh, 10, 11 years old. And there was a little like little animal farm, like on the summer camp, like a little fenced yeah, off yeah. area where they had like a couple of pigs, you know, roosters, some chickens, laying eggs, stuff like that for like, you know, nature learning type stuff. Right. So, you know, one day they like took us all down there in a group and opened up the fence and everybody sort of walked into the farm and walked around with the animals and stuff like that. Fine. We all left. And then the next day I went, we had like free time and I like went back to that fenced off area and I went in to hang out with the animals again. And I went, I walked in just by myself and the rooster of this farm came up and just started pecking the crap out of me. <laughs> just started, just started going, just going in Where? on my, le on my legs. He just started pecking at my calves, basically. And I ran out of the farm <laughs> yeah. with the rooster in hot pursuit, pecking me out the out the gate, basically. Oh, my God. I had little bruises all up and down the backs of my legs. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what I'm saying is when the, when the rooster is crowing, their mouth is writing checks that their that their their beaks are about to catch basically like they will but 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 the rooster but the rooster was correct in a, in the sense that he Im, he immediately perceived a danger to his flock yes. which is yes. unknown you know predator coming in don't know who you are don't know if you're dangerous or not yeah and yep. and and just pecked me right on out of there yep yeah. Um, and, and you helped kind of reinforce his behavior because he's like, well, that worked. So I'll do that next yeah, time. Yeah, yep. Yeah. yep. <laughs> if you put two roosters together who don't know each other, they will just start fighting for dominance. Uh, yeah. They will fight to establish the pecking order. Right. Right. And the, yes. the pecking order is literally like a linear order. When you have groups of chickens, hens, roosters, you know, you they all work. Whenever they get together into a group, the first thing that they will do is figure out what the ranking is. Like, right, who right, is right. number one? Who is number two? Who is number three? The hens all do this as well. Hen number one, hen number two, hen number three. Whoa. And so it's a linear thing. If you have multiple roosters on your farm or your residence or in this little group, whatever, and they have they're all with each other, they have a pecking order. Because if you keep them separate from each other, they can't establish a pecking order. Right. But yeah. if they have a pecking order, the first rooster to crow in the morning will be rooster number one of the pecking oh. order. And then and then only after him, rooster number two will crow. And then number three, etc. And if somebody crows out of turn, they will go beat him up. Oh my gosh. That's hardcore. That's so man, that's just like militant. It's serious. It's serious. And like looking for information on this, there's all these websites for farmers basically, like, how do I solve 
pecking order problems oh like oh God. you know separate them for x amount of time when you reintroduce them they'll be like a new person so they'll sort of work it out again <laughs> it's, it's all, if, you, if you separate them they all forget about that that hen or that wow <laughs> it doesn't mean that the new it doesn't mean the new person is going to be at the bottom they'll right they'll, they'll right fight and establish dominance and they'll figure it out again yeah oh and so if you have you gotta keep resetting the pecking order if you need so why anyway we've gotten off track why do roosters crow in the morning now you'd think that it was because yeah they either what they saw the sun or they sense a change in the light or something in the environment but it turns out that there's there's always been stories of like huh it seems like the rooster is anticipating the daybreak because mm. the rooster crows and then the sun comes up like mm. right after and it's like mm. what's going on with this and this was actually this is weird. This was only solved in 2013, year of mm. the face transplant. Yes, wow, so, <laughs> the year of the face transplant, the year of the new breakthroughs face. left yep. and right, breakthroughs left and right. In 2013, researchers at at Nagoya University in Japan, first of all, they did what you have to do to figure this out: is they took a bunch of roosters, they put them all in an in a constantly dark environment. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Total, just darkness all the time. Not pitch blackness, but just like no sunlight, no day-night cycle, basically, right? Those roosters still crowed right before dawn. Incredible. No way. Yep. In they the, know. In the sensory they deprivation know. chamber, they crowed right before dawn. So they, they established, they figured out that roosters have a pretty tight internal clock. Yeah, and they, they measured it to about 23.8 hours. Wow. Every 23.8 hours, they're like, oh, it's dawn and they will crow. Wow. They then tried just really messing with these roosters. At various times of day, they would shine lights on them. <laughs> Let's say it was like <laughs> dinner time, and but the roosters have been in the dark this whole time. And they that now they put light on them, but at night. Well, the roosters they then did respond to the light stimulus and they crowed and they were like, oh, okay, so external stimuli do play into it. Hmm. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. when they showed them the lights, when it wasn't actually dawn outside, they measured the, the volume of the crowing <laughs> and they didn't crow as much or as loudly <laughs> because, so they saw the lights and they were like, cock-a-doodle, <laughs> yes something seems wrong here but then when they shone light on them at actual daybreak remember it's still they're still in the dark environment they don't know when they shone light on them at the time that their internal clock was also telling them it's dawn then they crowed at at full intensity it's the internal clock that takes precedence yeah this all answers the question of physiologically how do they do it but it doesn't answer the question of like why why like what's the point of crowing right dawn? right yeah then what <laughs> nobody really has a definitive answer for this it's probably just i mean they they are the boss of their flock so there's probably just like hey it's morning get up we got bird stuff to do let's let's get it on also also by right. the way i'm still the boss just in case you guys <laughs> yeah, right, yeah right 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 it's like call it's like calling shotgun on the way to the car as a kid you want to make sure yeah by the way by the way <laughs> yeah. just 
I, I, I've been saying I'm talking about the intensity and the 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 loudness, if you will, the volume of a rooster's crows. They're loud. They're loud. Yeah. If you've ever been, I hope you've never been next to one when it crowed, because then you probably suffered at least some like permanent hearing loss. <laughs> one study measured the crow of a rooster at 130 decibels. No way. Just to be clear, we've talked about decibel levels yeah. on the show before. 130. That is like standing 50 feet away from a military <laughs> jet taking off. That's outrageous. So this then raises a question. Does anybody want to guess at what the question is that I'm thinking up? How do they prevent making themselves deaf? How do they protect themselves? Yeah. So you're right yes. there with me once again. Yes. Yeah. Why aren't all roosters deaf? <laughs> when a rooster fully opens his beak, when a rooster goes ah, and opens his mouth, when it does that, his ear canals partially close off. Oh my God. Soft uh, tissue completely uh, covers over uh, the wow. rooster's eardrums. Oh my wow. God. It's just wow. when his mouth is open and it just, uh, it just all works at this in tandem. He's got a noise canceling head. <laughs> he has noise. <laughs> yeah. Built in noise canceling headphones for the rooster. So whenever he crows, his ear canal is partially closed and his eardrum uh, is, my understanding, is completely covered. Isn't that incredible? Wow. That's yep. amazing. That is really something. I did find out one more thing that I just wanted to throw in there. Do you know, as I was doing all of my research, why uh, there have to be two doors on a chicken coop? Oh. Mm. I don't even know how what chicken coop looks like. How do they open? Is it like It's like a little out? house for the chickens. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You, why kind of like, a, like a little like a pet door kind yes. of just like right, right, right. okay yeah so like yeah little... why there why this is hmm. why there have to be two doors on a chicken coop you know it's why like something with an escape route or something or i'll i'll tell you no i'll tell you uh because if it had four doors it would be a chicken sedan oh my I god i hate you i can't believe you I'm got me it. so bad i <laughs> so so bad and i'm like i don't oh, know what it looks like <laughs> uh <sighs> mercifully i am now done <laughs> another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to Good Job Brain. Smooth puzzles, smart trivia. Good Job Brain. I have a quick trivia question. This is very, very topical. Just recently in August, who made his live stream debut 
on Twitch TV as he celebrates turning 70 this year. Hmm. Who made his Morning life? related. Morning related. Morning related. Okay, okay. 70. Disclaimer, I used to work at Twitch, mm-hmm. and this is like the kind of cool ad deals that I would be part of <laughs> the team working on. Who mm. made his live stream debut on Twitch TV as he celebrates turning 70 this year? 70. He's not a real person. Oh. Okay. Tony the Tiger. Oh, that's a good guess. Tony the Tiger. Tony the Tiger. I think played some some Fall Guys. (laughs) Oh, really? Oh, God. It's not like a person in a Tony the Tiger fursuit. Was it a VTuber? It was a VTuber. A VTuber. There's a person who is Mm -hmm. streaming or interacting with a camera, but they're wearing like like a motion kind of sensor suit. And then And then the Tony the Tiger or or whatever character is mapped on. (laughs) It's amazing. (laughs) A quick news story. So the UK government has been trying to pass new laws regarding junk food. Mm. They're banning TV advertising before 9 p.m. The government is trying to ban online advertising for junk food. And guess what? This junk food includes sugar cereals. Mm -hmm. And uh, Mm -hmm. Kellogg's UK, uh, not too happy with that. Um, they actually tried to challenge the the government and argued that it was unfair that sugar cereals counted as junk food in the eyes of the UK government because it did not take into account the milk that's usually added to the cereal. <laughs> We're part of this complete breakfast, just like it says. Yeah. Right, right, right. The judgment dismissed the claim because the addition of milk has no effect on how much <laughs> right. sugar... It doesn't reduce right. the sugar, yeah. Well, the sugar comes off of the cereal and it goes into the milk. So shouldn't you be uh, banning the milk once the sugar goes in it? And then Colin, you said something about, oh, part of the complete breakfast. I mean, <laughs> yeah, if, right, you're, right. if you're a kid of... 80s 90s maybe even now with cereal commercials you're sitting there in the morning you're eating your cereal you're watching tv and it's like frosted flakes is part of this complete breakfast and it's literally just like you have the bowl of cereal you got two (laughs) two eggs over easy you got the toast you have your glass of milk then there's the glass of orange juice and it's just like and you look at it's like mom i think you're supposed to be serving me this in the morning the tv says that this is the complete breakfast shut up go to school here's a question for you there are two things that make up a complete breakfast according to the american chemical society (laughs) okay two things (laughs) carbon Uh. and (laughs) carbohydrates and protein wow they literally so cereal companies literally can say they are part of a complete breakfast because there's carbs there's the carbs in there right right if you just get some 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 eggs and in the background you're like oh good yeah yeah we're set yeah 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 well, as we just discussed, I am very much not a morning person, mm. uh, despite having a child, uh, which who I do have to get up for. I very much am a coffee person. I, I think I have coffee every day. What What are your guys' go tos? And Chris, maybe back in the days when you did have coffee, like for I can me, tell it's you like, Chris's order. Oh, yeah. go on. Ice coffee, venti with half and half, and six packets of Splenda. Yeah, they have to understand like these things are <laughs> these things are big. <laughs> and I usually get it with like minimal ice. 
Actually, <laughs> now I can do a lot less uh, Splenda. So if I have like, a, if I actually, if I do have coffee or like a decaf or something like that, I only need like two, maybe three for that same size. But, but yes, it's true. I, I did used to absolutely load it up with artificial. You got to know what you like. You have to know what you like. What about yep. you, Karen? I'm really actually not that picky at all. Yeah. It's yeah. Like I have no discerning palate when it comes to coffee. <laughs> to me, it's like a treat. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Okay, it's like, I do it's know like what dessert. you mean. Like, I'll, I'll drink airplane coffee. I don't mind. Like, if it's like, I like hot caffeine, you know? I mean, it's uh, I, I've got a wide range of acceptable. Mm-hmm. You probably see where I'm going with this. You're both very nope. smart people here. I have put together for you <gasps> a coffee-based quiz. Okay. Ooh. Let's do this as a buzz in. Grab your buzzers here. Uh, all right, well, let's start with the coffee bean. The coffee bean. Lovely, lovely coffee bean. It is not actually a bean what is it karen it is a berry the you're close what is the coffee bean the part that we actually yeah it's it's a pit Uh, yeah you're right yeah i I didn't want to make you dance too much for it but yeah that's right it's 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 like a stone fruit essentially and so the coffee bean is the seed it's like the little seed inside the fruit you know and they usually come as you know, probably in two halves, like little, you know, halves of the brain. Oh, That's why they're flat on one side. It's you see two. The, it's two. They mm. come, yeah, they almost always come together too like that. And then they pop them open and roast them and then grind them. Uh, occasionally, though, coffee cherries, they do, do produce a single pod seed where it's not the little half. Oh, and weird. those are called... Pea berries. If you've ever seen at your high-end coffee shop, sometimes you'll yeah. see a pea berry blend. That's what the pea berry is. The pea berry, <laughs> P-E-A, pea berry. I've Thank read you. that it's about five percent of the coffee crop uh, are single, single seeds, single pea berries, and they'll yeah. they'll separate those out because some people do swear they taste different, better, you know, whatever. Uh, and so, yeah, sometimes you can find pea berry only. I've had pea berry, but I did not at the time realize that's what I was drinking. I uh, mm. So the next time I see somewhere that has a pea berry, uh, I'm going to get it and see if I can discern any difference. Yeah. I mean, as we've just discussed, like all of this stuff makes no difference to me whatsoever. Somebody's like, ah, yes, a rich Bolivian dark roast. And I'm going to half and half in one hand and like Splenda <laughs> in the other. I'm just like, oh, yeah, I can totally taste the richness of the, yeah. Yeah, it's hot, right? Yeah, great, great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Since the late 1950s, the fictional character Juan Valdez has appeared in ads promoting the coffee from what country? Chris. Colombia. It is Colombia. Okay. Yeah. That's why everybody yeah. asked me a brand, but it's it's is it not a brand? Is it is it literally just like it's it's one of these sort of like a trade brand essentially. It was created by the Coffee Growers Association. Okay. You know, in conjunction with, I mean, an American you know advertising firm essentially. Right. It was, right, it was right. created to raise awareness of and good feelings toward and sell Colombian coffee into the U.S. originally, primarily. Yeah. yeah. He was he was right. Juan Valdez. He was right up there with like the uh, the time to make the donuts guy. And the, um, <laughs> yeah, the there was a the time. Charmin. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You don't you don't see the, the TV ads as much anymore. It's been a, it's been a while since he was a presence there. But the, but he's he's part of the logo. Um, uh... And they there have been a couple, you know, actors and men over the years who portray uh... Juan. 
Juan Valdez. Yeah, yeah. The original Juan Valdez has passed away. Rest in peace. Yeah, the brand kind of, you know, exceeded just being an awareness there. I mean, there are Juan Valdez coffee shops, you know, I mean, they, they've Whoa. really, yeah, it's, it's, it is a coffee name. It's done the job. Colombian coffee definitely has a good rep here yeah, right. in, in the U.S., certainly. All right, softball. You should know this. You should oh, know geez. this. This one, this one comes up on pub quiz all the time. More caffeine in a shot of espresso or an oh. eight-ounce cup of drip coffee? Oh. Karen. F-50-50, espresso. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh. There, There is more total caffeine in the average eight-ounce cup of drip coffee than there is in the average- How much wa- more? Basically, uh, twice, you know, no pretty way. much. Yeah, you know. Now, of course, it varies from restaurant to restaurant, but- on average, you can expect uh, a, a one ounce shot of espresso have eh, 65 milligrams of caffeine in there, maybe a little bit more. Uh, and you can expect an eight ounce cup of drip coffee to have eh, 100, 120, 150 milligrams of caffeine in there. I have a personal question that's not going to be personal anymore. Um, hmm. so, sometimes <laughs> when I drink too much coffee, mm-hmm. I feel like my pee smells like caffeine or coffee. I, you guys I, get I, that? I have had that experience before too. Oh yeah, no, I stop. I mean, I mean, I, I stopped drinking coffee. It didn't have anything to do with the smell of my pee, but it was like, oh, I, I'm getting really bad stomach aches from like drinking like five cups uh, of coffee in a day. I should probably oh, actually yeah. stop doing that. <laughs> espresso, espresso has, I mean, only been around for you know not too much more than a hundred years. It's, espresso's oh, really? really only been around since like the early 1900s. Yeah, Whoa. yeah. The first espresso machines were. You know, we talk about like the barista pulling an espresso, right? You know, have you guys heard that term? The, the mm-hmm. first espresso machines were, it was a hand-powered machine. It generated the pressure to mm-hmm. drive the the steam and through the coffee grounds by hand. And so oh you had God. to kind of crank it and pull pull the shot. These days, most most machines, it, it's, it generates the pressure for you automatically. You can just, you know, press a button. <laughs> uh, it is an Italian word, espresso, sort of the, the, the home of espresso. In Italian, what does the word espresso mean? Chris, is it like speediness or Karen express pressing? Yes, is it pressing? It, it, that, okay. Yeah, it is. It, it the the literal derivation of it is it's it, extracting, it's pressed, pressed out. You're, okay. you're pressing okay. it through. Yeah. However, it does certainly, uh, as it's grown around the world, uh, it does also have the the additional sort of connotation of express and speedy. Yeah, they, right. they both work. It really it's a is. nice kind of double. It's a nice double meaning. Hey, you guys, you guys know coffee? Yeah, I, I, I came up with a machine that makes it like a lot harder to make. You've got to like... <laughs> Sounds great. Pull down on this huge lever. Steam. Like, oh, let's try that. Yeah. Right. And it's really dangerous. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. They say when I was reading about the history of espresso that like part of the other appeal of it is was the sort of the personal bespoke nature of the cup of coffee. It's not it's oh, it's like here is urn. your yeah, it's not it's here is your individual cup that really contributed to kind of the, uh, the, sure, the rise yeah. of, of the popularity of espresso. In 1908, German housewife Melita Bentz revolutionized the world of coffee making when she mm. came up with what coffee innovation? Oh, jeez. Karen. 
Oh, maybe that housewife. Uh, I was going to say instant coffee or freeze-dried coffee. It is not. But yeah, you're right on the right track. Something something that you could innovate using household ingredients. Melita Bents. Household ingredients? Yeah, or household items anyway. It's as popular today as it's ever been. Oh, gosh. Melita Bents invented... Uh Pour over paper filter coffee. Oh, right. Oh, okay. Yeah, nineteen oh eight. And in fact, the Melita is one of the leading names in coffee filters. You go to the store, the red green label. I promise. Oh, wow. I promise you have seen them in the store. Oh, Melita yeah. coffee cone filters. Keep in mind, I, it seems crazy to say it now, but like up to this time, the traditional way of making coffee was you ground up your coffee, you put it in with some hot water. You kind of stirred it up and cooked it and you Uh carefully poured out the stuff off the top and you did your best not to get the grounds in. And that was how you made coffee. And she cut tired of grounds in her coffee. And she said, there's got to be a better way. (laughs) She took a a, a brass pot. She punched holes in the bottom. She took a sheet of blotter paper from her son's school supplies and she lined the bottom pot and she put it on top of the coffee pot, put the grounds in poured her boiling water over, and voila, it filtered out all the grounds, nice, clean cup of coffee. And she patented the idea, and she wow. launched She launched the business that, as I say, still, still bears her name to this day. It may not surprise you to learn that the USA is the largest importer of coffee by, by volume. We have a lot of people... We drink a lot of coffee. The USA, we import the most, the most raw. Just give us, give, us, give, give us those beans. That's right. What country produces the most coffee? What country exports by a significant margin? Okay, okay. Yeah. Karen. Brazil. Ooh. Wow, correct. You got it. Oh, That's nice. right. I, Good I call. Like, it has to be in terms of the amount of land to grow land coffee. Like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. As, as high as 45% of the world production of coffee from Brazil, from what I read. Coffee has long been a staple supply for soldiers in the field. During what war did American soldiers first receive ready-to-mix coffee? Oh. All right, so not grinding it up themselves. The first, where the, where the government handed them a product, you just add water. What war? Okay, okay, okay. I, I'm, I'm thinking, oh, okay, you go first. I'm, I'm going to say, like, post-space race, I'm going to say Vietnam War. Interesting. I was going like, to say Korea War. Oh, interesting. Could be. Or maybe we're both going the wrong direction entirely, and it's, like, way earlier than yeah, we yeah, thought yeah, it was. Yeah. <laughs> I was surprised. And, and there's maybe a little qualification, but I was surprised that uh, I phrased it very specifically. The mm-hmm. first ready-to-mix, just-add-water yeah. copy was provided to soldiers in the Civil War. No! Yes, the... So not instinct. Yeah, well, how was it made then? So this was the Union Army, I should stress. Uh, Coffee was a huge, huge, huge morale booster out on the battlefield. I mean, the government, uh, the, the U.S. Army supplied a, and for a very short period, an experimental product called Essence of Coffee. <laughs> yes. It, it was like a coffee concentrate, okay? It was it was it was like like a like a sludge. It was not a powder, it was it was like a reduction. It was pre-sweetened, 
it was pre-milked and then just sort of reduced <laughs> down. Okay, okay. And you, as the soldier, they would, you know, you, you're on your own to get the boiling water and mix it up, but you didn't have to grind the beans. You didn't have to carry the beans. You have to carry a grinder. You have to do any of that. Uh, I read that it tasted, frankly, terrible. Uh, <laughs> and I've read that it may have caused no small amount of cramps and diarrhea um so it was an experiment uh they they did go back to just regular kind of coffee rations (laughs) yeah um the uh the uh the southern (laughs) the southern army had you know a lot of blockades going on i mean that's that's one reason why like you know i think we've talked on the show before like chicory became a a popular coffee substitute they they couldn't get coffee they just couldn't get coffee beans right by world war one though what what is fairly properly a modern instant coffee was available it was it was a powder no promises here as to how good it was but it was recognizable as an instant kind of modern style coffee Hmm. on the other end of (laughs) coffee technology uh it's been practically impossible to escape the keurig k-cup machine At the office, at home, at the dorm, at the gym, everywhere. Uh, and if you're not familiar with the with the K cup, it's a, it's a little cup with made out of metal foil cap. You stick in a machine, you close the machine. But it's like the idea behind the K cup is it just takes all of the mess out of making coffee. And it transfers all of that mess into the innards of a machine. I don't have to think about where the coffee comes from <laughs> yeah. until such time as this machine becomes completely fixed uh, with with whatever gunk and goo and, you know, minerals from the water is all in there. <laughs> and you have to throw it out and buy another machine. They were new once upon a time. Let's see if you guys know when they came around. We'll do a Ooh. little, here we go, a little which came first here, a little Brad Pitt or Laser showdown. Which was introduced first, the current K-Cup or the movie Shrek? <laughs> which... Karen, right away, what's your guess? Oh, Shrek is life. Shrek. The movie Shrek uh, was released in 2001. The K-Cup introduced 1998. Mm. All right, last one. We'll stick with with, uh, inventions and innovations here. Close it out. Alan Adler originally made his name as an inventor with record-breaking flying devices before introducing this coffee device with a cult-like following in 2005. Karen. Chemex. Not the Chemex, but uh, you're, in the, you're in the right, you know, sort oh, of uh, okay. ballpark. Yeah, so Alan Adler, inventor, uh-huh. record-breaking flying devices. Flying, maybe a little, flying, bit, maybe a little bit of a clue there. Yeah, flying. sure, sure, sure. I am looking for the AeroPress. That makes sense. The oh, AeroPress. Oh, God, I had one. The little plunger... The little plunger presser thing. Yeah, I received one as a present. Uh, I was a convert. I, I don't use it all the time. Because uh, it's not messy. Invented by the same man who invented the Aerobee flying disc. Oh my gosh. All right. Well, good. Good job, guys. Good job. I hope you are wired up and ready to go. Chris is shaking his head. I'm not. Chris does not approve. You gave us chicken coop. You gave it. Come on. <laughs> Buenos Dias World from the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance. I'm Marco Went. And I'm Rick Schwartz. And we're your hosts for Season 3 of Amazing Wildlife, a show from iHeartRadio Ruby Studio and the global conservation organization behind the San Diego Zoo and the San Diego Zoo Safari Park. 
Listen as we dive into the efforts here in San Diego and spotlight the heroes working worldwide to care for the species you know and love. Listen to Amazing Wildlife on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I know on the top of the show, I shared my story about mimosas. And I was like, oh, it's champagne and orange juice. So breakfast, so healthy. And, you know, on Good Job Brain, we love food trivia and we love examples of genius advertising. Yes. So here for our final segment, I have something called Orange You Glad. Mm. <laughs> orange Orange You Glad. Why did orange juice and orange become a breakfast oh. food? Why do we associate it with breakfast? You're not like late at night. What a treat. Orange juice. In your head, you're like, this is a breakfast drink. Mm. This is a yeah, maybe 100%. a breakfast fruit. Yeah. 100%. Albert Lasker, uh, the ad exec at the agency Lord and Thomas, was tapped to help the California Fruit Growers Exchange. <laughs> In the 1900s, like 1900, 1900, California experienced a huge citrus boom. Mm. Growers were producing like an insane amount of oranges and the demand uh, was pretty low. It didn't really match the supply. What do you do? You can decrease the amount of oranges you're growing or you increase the people's demand and want for it. Uh, And the latter sounds better because it (laughs) has the better potential to make more money. Now, California fruit growers exchange doesn't really roll off the tongue very well, right? Mm -hmm. CFGE, California fruit growers exchange, California fruit growers exchange. So they were advised uh, by their ad agency to maybe use like a different name, a more like a tempting brand name that maybe conveyed, you know, a California flair. Okay. So the California fruit growers exchange ended up using the brand name, Sunkissed. Yeah. Ah. What a terrific name. It's Sunkissed, right? Kissed Perfect. by a sun, but Perfect. it's K I S T. It's kind of a newish word, so you don't have to deal with as many trademark or copyright problems. Right. So, to make these sunkissed oranges stand out, they were actually wrapped. They were wrapped and decorated with wrapper and stamp and stickers. Um, you know, because you go in, it's like oranges are just like kind of in a tub, right? Mm. Now these are like sun-kissed oranges. They have their special wrappers. Um, but the, <laughs> the the shopkeepers, like the merchants, they had a bad habit of just taking off the wrapper and wrap crappier oranges. <laughs> <laughs> so this caused a really big problem because it's like this is diluting the sun-kissed yeah. brand, right? Yeah. These are crappier oranges. They don't they don't want this to happen. So to solve this problem, Sunkiss did such an amazing move. Sunkiss ran ads. I'm just going to read the, the big headlines. This is the 1900s, right? Sometimes they write like novels. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yes. For breakfast, try Sunkissed oranges, luscious tree ripened fruit. Please serve Sunkissed oranges at breakfast tomorrow and learn the superiority of tree ripened, seedless, fiberless <laughs> oranges over the commonplace kind. Oh, man. Don't fail to save the wrappers. Save 12 sun-kissed wrappers. Send them to us with 12 cents and we will present you with a genuine Rogers orange spoon of beautiful design and Mm. highest quality. Begin saving wrappers today. Ah, smart. Oh, consumers, give us back the wrapper. Ask for the sun-kissed oranges. Save the wrappers. Mail it back to us and we'll mail you a spoon. Smart. Oh, of the highest quality. 
100% real metal. And the best part is <laughs> I really love the, um, like the, Oh, it's like, this is the Don Draper thing where it's just sort of like, uh, and okay, well, when you get the oranges, it's like, well, yeah, the, well, you know, they, they get ripe on the tree and then we take them down after they're ripe. Oh, great. They're tree ripened. Tree ripened. <laughs> yeah. Also, I mean, we joke about the spoon. The spoon is, is real metal. They're not like a regular spoon. They're spoons for you to eat oranges with. It's like, you know, what we call uh, a grapefruit spoon. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Wedge yeah. angle, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. This mm-hmm. campaign was so successful, so oh, successful. Yeah. Not only did it make Sunkiss the world's largest purchaser of cutlery because wow. they were giving away so many spoons. Wow. I love stuff wow. like that. Wow. That's great. Yeah. Importantly, it pushed eating oranges for breakfast. Eating. We're not mm. even at drinking it. We're at eating. Right, right, right. Okay, let's sell more oranges. Okay, let's juice them. <laughs> yeah. In 1916, shoppers could buy a pair of oranges bundled with a beautiful glass juice extractor. Oh, nice. Do you remember old like orange juice oh, extractors? Yeah. It's yeah. like it's yeah. flat and then it has like a little mountain and you press mm-hmm. the orange into it. And the campaign was drink an orange. Eating oranges is too messy. Now you can drink an orange. <laughs> <laughs> and and this is before orange juice concentrate. I mean, that was that was a, a very big win for them too. But oh, that's like sure, decades yeah. later. But here's the question: Why breakfast? Why not like dessert at dinner or something like that? Yeah. Here's the thing: the California Fruit Growers Exchange also grew another fruit, the lemon, uh, and they can't have two citrus fruits cannibalize or compete <laughs> with each other for their different uh, PR and marketing strategies or advertising <laughs> campaigns. So they purposefully positioned orange to be the breakfast fruit. <sighs> and lemon is the afternoon lemonade, <sighs> take a break. Wow. Both fruits were trying to be sold. That's really, that's it's really so, It is so yeah. funny how we think about <laughs> these things as being, as just sort of having come out of nowhere. You know what I mean? Like the idea yeah. of like orange juice for breakfast and lemonade and for a hot afternoon or something like that. And we think <laughs> it just sort of like just sprung up you know, sort of naturally when in fact it was like a deliberate ad campaign, but it was over a hundred years ago. So yeah. it's, like a folk, it's like a folk tale. You know what I mean? That, that yeah. it's like a yeah. modern day folk tale. It's like, but it still affects our lives today. You made us close our eyes earlier, but if you, you know, if you guys close your eyes now and and picture the quintessential Western breakfast, mm-hmm. what do you see? The, the pancakes, the, cereal, eggs, and eggs toast. orange yeah, juice, toast. Yeah, maybe yeah. some bacon or sausage. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Most of those things are part of what was pushed to us in the it's, last hundred years, and you it, just forget about. It. I mean, yeah, you know, and you yeah. kind of generations pass. Prior to coffee and tea becoming really widespread, you know what most people would drink as a morning beverage? Beer. Yeah, beer. Oh, sure. Just yeah. beer. That was, yeah, you'd have some beer in the morning and, yeah. you know, no yeah. one would think twice about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's our show. Thank you guys for joining me and thank you guys, listeners, for listening in. Hope you learned stuff about coffee, about roosters' ears. <laughs> um, you can find us on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Spotify, and on all podcast apps. And on our website, goodjobbrain.com. This podcast is part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to other shows like Movie Therapy, Big Picture Science, and The Secret History of Hollywood. And we'll see you next week.
Buenos Dias World from the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance. I'm Marco Wint. And I'm Rick Schwartz. And we're your hosts for Season 3 of Amazing Wildlife, a show from iHeartRadio Ruby Studio and the global conservation organization behind the San Diego Zoo and the San Diego Zoo Safari Park. Listen as we dive into the efforts here in San Diego and spotlight the heroes working worldwide to care for the species you know and love. Listen to Amazing Wildlife on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.